So we're closing off our series, okay, living out what lies inside. And uh, over the past few weeks, we've been talking about forgiveness. And I want to touch on another subject here about forgiving yourself. And I want to read from Matthew 27, 1 through 10 to kick us off. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people came to the decision to put Jesus to death. They bound him, led him away and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and and returned the 30 silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us? They replied. That's your responsibility. So Jesus, so Judas threw the money into the temple and left. And then he went away and hanged himself. I, I think somewhere along the line, we all have done things that we regret. Not a person in this room who could hear my voice and understand what I'm saying has not done something that they regret. We've sinned and we feel remorse. And your relationship with Christ, for example, when you were younger in your faith, maybe, or as you grew in your faith, your relationship with Christ was strong. And then something happened. You did something that sidetracked you. And you've never forgiven yourself for that. And so you, you've, you've never been able to get back to, and connected with the Lord like you were in the very beginning. Not that you lose your salvation or whatever. You just... You just can't connect with God the way you once did because it's burdening your heart. And then you can't shake the voice of the enemy who constantly says, you can't undo what you've done. You are stuck with it. If anybody knew what you had done, they wouldn't want to be around you. And you get this voice, you can't undo it. It can't be undone. You're stuck with what you've done. That is the voice of the enemy that rattles around in our minds and the sound the sound of that voice, the, the sound of condemnation rings on our ears like 30 pieces of silver clanging against the floor of our heart. Now, you may not have obviously literally gone out and hung yourself, but here's the thing. Your future, your future, how you live your life for Jesus Christ hangs in the balance to how you deal with this, with this question. Of forgiving yourself. Now, I, I want to say this before I go on. I am going to go over this morning. And I know some of you have to get to certain places Labor Day weekend. If you have to leave, that is not a problem, okay? Don't feel uncomfortable to have to get up and leave. Not a problem. I just don't want to rush through this. It is so important that we deal with this issue in our hearts, okay? So important. So we need to make sure that we are we're dealing with this in the right way. And and again, you may not have run off and, you know, and hung yourself, but you your your life, your future life, your life with the Lord hangs in the balance. Now, there's another story in John chapter eight, verses two through eleven. It's a story of the woman caught in adultery. That's another good example for us. So we have Judas. He feels overwhelmed by what he did. He's so overwhelmed. He throws the money back in and he goes and hangs himself. The woman caught in adultery is a little bit different. So you have these chief priests and these elders that come along. The chief priests want to catch Jesus. They want to they, they're trying to they're trying to trap him, if you will. So they use this woman as bait. They use her as bait. They find a woman who is caught in adultery. In order for you to stone a woman, okay, or a man who is caught in adultery, in order for you to stone that person, according to Jewish law, back here, back then, okay, you had to catch them in the act. 
You couldn't see someone coming out of someone else's house and go, hey, hey, wait a second. You had to, you had to see them in the act. Okay? So then you start to ask yourself, how did they, how did they actually said they wanted to trap Jesus so they find this woman caught in adultery, right? It, it, it smells like a setup to me. So here's this woman. They, they find her in the act of committing adultery and they drag her before Jesus and they want Jesus to judge her. They want him to pass judgment. So now Jesus is really caught between those who want to throw stones, if you will, in a hard place, right? Because they've got him. I mean, the law, the law of Moses says if a woman's caught in adultery, a man's caught in adultery, you stone them. Jesus is talking about love and forgiveness and everything. And so they've got him. They've got him in this point. And I love the story. And every time I read it, I'm just fascinated by how Jesus deals with these with these men, how he approaches them, how he deals with it. Instead of asking their question, OK, instead of answering their question, he reframes the whole argument, he reframes the whole conversation and takes complete control. So instead of just answering their question, well, Moses' law says this and you're preaching this, so what do you do? And he kind of kneels down and instead of answering their question, he reframes the whole conversation and he takes complete control. He turns the table on them, which I absolutely love. He turns the table on their legalistic mindset. And instead of examining the law, he forces them to examine their hearts. It's awesome. They think they have him. But instead, he turns it right around and he forces them to examine their hearts. Now, here's the thing that you really have to, this, you're not going to understand the sermon unless you walk with me through this. Have you ever wondered how this woman was feeling? Okay? She is caught in the immoral, okay, unlawful, biblically, act of adultery. She is dragged out. She's used as a pawn and she is dragged out in front of her friends and her neighbors and her relatives. And she is humiliated. OK, they had to catch you in the act. OK, I, I guarantee you they didn't let her get completely dressed when they dragged her out of the house. Maybe she threw a cloak over or something when they drag her before Jesus. And you got to ask yourself the question, where's the guy? Where is he in all this? OK, and if you kind of look at the scripture, you start to realize maybe he's actually a part of setting Jesus up. Right. So they use him because how would they know this woman? Oh, let's trick Jesus. Uh, we got to find someone caught in adultery. That may take a while because we actually have to see it. I mean, come on. Right. So they're setting him up to humiliate him. Jesus humiliate him and trap him. They use this woman. They, they actually use her and trap her. And they drag her before Jesus. She's humiliated in front of all of her friends. She must be absolutely broken. She must be, I mean, the fear must be overwhelming and the shame must be overwhelming. The fear that you're going to get stoned. I mean, you've seen women stoned before for doing this. And all of a sudden now you're dragged out your cloak or whatever. You're laying there, maybe naked in front of all these people. You must be completely humiliated. And this is how Jesus handles it. He deals it with by saying, after he's John writing on the ground, he says, he is without sin, cast the first stone. Then he looks this woman right in the eye and he says this, woman, where are, where, where are they? He says, has no one condemned you? She replies, no one, sir. Then Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. 
I don't condemn you. Which means your life is not over. Okay? Your life is not over. They're all gone. I dealt with them. I'm dealing with you now. Go and sin no more. But now I often wonder, did she receive his words in such a way in her heart that she was able to, I mean, she was able to to face the the stony hearts and stares, physically, eye stares of her friends and her neighbors and her relatives going forward. Because there, I mean, can you imagine this experience? I mean, that's an experience. You get caught in adultery. They drag you outside. All your neighbors and everything are all standing there. What's going to happen? And now this is a miraculous. We always think about Jesus and who, you know, sin cast the first stone. We forget, though, what she was, maybe what she was feeling at the time. Were his words received in a way that allowed her, hear me, to forgive herself? Jesus says, he's God, he looks at her and says, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. She was forgiven by God. The question is, could she forgive herself? Could she break free from the guilt and the shame of, of that event? Or was, did this event become the sun, S-U-N, right? We've been talking about this last couple of weeks. Was that event what her life revolved around? It's at times like this, you know, I'm dating myself a little bit, but at times like this, you want Paul Harvey, right? You want Paul Harvey to tell you the rest of the story, right? I can live without knowing what Jesus scribbled on the ground. Though I'd love to know what he scribbled on the ground, like a caricature of these guys talking to him, like, you know what I mean? And they're watching him draw. I don't know what he was drawing. I can live with that. But what I really would love to know, what I really, what I really love to know was how this woman handled the next few weeks, the next few months, the next few years of her life. Was she able over to over, to, was she able to overcome what had happened to her? Did she forgive herself? Did she forgive herself? See, most of us, the reason I, I want to know what happened in her life is for some reason is because every person in this room has done something immoral. Every person in this room, well, not every person, but all of us have either done something immoral, we've broken a promise, we've hurt someone we love, we've betrayed someone, maybe a, a confidence or something. We've all done something and harmed someone that we love. And in most cases, honestly, the person who we harmed, in, in most of the cases in this room, they have forgiven us. They have forgiven us for what we've done. The question is, are we able to forgive ourselves? They forgave you. They said, listen, I understand I, you, you slipped up. We're all, you know, we're all human, whatever the case may be. Maybe it was really bad or whatever, but the person has forgiven you or that, that's kind of behind. But you cannot bring yourself to, you can't forgive yourself. So for the next few minutes, what I want to do is I want to talk about what it means to forgive yourself. There are certain things in your life when you sin, you just kind of like, okay, you sinned. It's not like you don't care, but you, you ask for forgiveness and you move on. You can do that. But there are other things that you've done in your life sometimes where you just can't seem to forgive yourself. You just can't seem to let it go. So before we, we, really, we, we can really let go of the past, if you will, you need to let go of some stinking thinking. Okay, it's my way of, you know, saying your, your, your thought process is not right. I call it stinking thinking. So I have eight things. I want to talk about what it means to forgive yourself. Okay, what does it mean to forgive yourself? Number one, owning your own sin. You need to own your sin. 
Okay, when you've done something that you've really you've broken someone's heart, you've you've wronged someone, you've sinned in some way that's you need to just own it. You need to own it. Okay, and what I love about this is what I love about David. David is um, I'm going to read you Psalm 51 in a second. David wrote Psalm 51, but I want to I want to give you the, the the context. So David's up on his roof. He sees Bathsheba. I'm not going to go into the whole story. He looks over there. Bathsheba's bathing. And he's like, she's beautiful. I'm the king. I want her. And so he, he basically commits adultery. All right. She's, a, she's a married to Uriah the Hittite. He takes her. And, uh, and so they, you know, so he, he broke God's law. Down the road, Nathan comes to him. Nathan the prophet comes to David and he wants to confront David. But David doesn't know it. And David, Nathan says, David, I want to tell you a story. There's this guy, right? This really rich guy and there's this really poor guy. And this really rich guy has everything he wants. He's got it all. He's got, he's got cattle. He's got sheep. He's got, you know, he's got it all. He's got everything. And the other poor guy has a little ewe lamb. It's just a tiny little cute lamb. You ever see baby lambs? They're so adorable. Right. And this guy really and it goes into detail. He loves his little lamb and he feeds it at his family. He treats it like one of his daughters and his kids love it. And they, it sleeps with him. And, and he just loves this little he loves this little lamb. And they, they just have such a good time. The whole family and the lamb, they have such a good time together. And the rich guy has friends come to town. And instead of taking one of his gazillion lambs or whatever, he goes and snatches the little lamb from the poor guy, kills it and feeds it to the people who came to visit him. David hears the story and he is outraged. David wants heads. Heads will roll. He says, as, as, as sure as the Lord lives, this person must be put to death. He says, the person has to pay it back tenfold and the person needs to be put to death. And Nathan says to him, you are the man. My point is, if we're going to forgive ourselves, honestly, we need to say, I am the man. I am the woman and confess our sin. And David does that. Psalm 51. I won't read you the whole thing, but I want to read you some of it because this is brokenness. This is what I'm talking about. He says after Bathsheba, after Nathan confronts him, he realizes what he's done. And he says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgression, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take away your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And he goes on. That is what I'm talking about when I'm saying brokenness. And that is what David had. We need to own and take responsibility for our sin. That's number one. Number two, it's getting down off the cross and accepting God's grace. God loves you and gave his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for you, for everything you've ever done, past, present and future. He loves us, sins and all. Understand that God loves us, sins and all for everything we've ever done. And I'll tell you why I'm going to tell you very quickly. All right. 
Because when God the Father sees Jeff Greer, he doesn't see Jeff Greer because I've given my life to Christ and the blood of Christ covers me. So when God the Father sees me, he sees Christ first. Christ covers me. God loves me. I make mistakes. I sin all the time. But God sees Christ. Christ is my advocate. God loves you. So what I'm saying is, hey, get down off the cross. You don't belong there. You don't belong there. Jesus Christ's death on the cross was sufficient for you. 1 John 4, 9 talks about God's love. He says, we love because he first loved us. And you say, you don't understand. You don't understand you're, what you're talking about. You, If you knew the depth of what I have done, let me answer that with a verse of scripture. In John chapter 8, verse 36, it says this. So if the son sets you free, then you are free indeed. If Jesus Christ sets you free, if he forgives you, you are free indeed. Nothing you have ever done is more powerful than Jesus' death and resurrection. Nothing. Jesus' death and resurrection covers all the sins of everybody who's ever lived on this earth. And we give our lives to him. We are covered with the blood of Jesus Christ. So nothing we have ever done is more powerful than what Christ has done for us. So what we need to do, we need to forgive ourselves and accept God's love. You can only truly forgive yourself if you accept this, that God loves you and that he has given us Jesus Christ to cover us and to, and to confront and overwhelm our sin. John 3.16 for says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. For God so loved the world. He loves us. That is who we are. We need to own that. You hear me? Don't just hear the words, Ah, oh, I've heard this before in church. Listen to me. God loves you. He sent his Son to die for that sin. You need to forgive yourself. God has forgiven you. You need to forgive yourself. Number three. Seeing yourself through the right lens is now you have to listen to me on this one, okay? Listen to me. You are not your worst moment. You, letting that, you need to let that really permeate your heart. You are not your worst moment. You're not your worst moment. I want you to say, on the count of three, I want you to say, I am not my worst moment. One, two, three. I am not my worst moment. See, and that, that, you're saying that like, uh. I'm up here waving my hands and I'm dancing around and can't, and you're, uh. All right, let's say it again. On the count, I am not my worst moment. One, two, three. I am not my worst moment. You're not only you're not your worst moment, you're not your worst season. Some of you have gone through alcohol problems and drug problems and maybe you've committed adultery and you've been in a relationship. You are not your worst moment. You are not your worst season of your life. That's not how God sees you. You're not. David is not his worst moment. Paul, Paul's a great example. Paul did some horrendous things in his life. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 13, it says, Even though I was once a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man, I was shown mercy. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Paul did not make that his identity. He did not make his identity as a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man. That was not his identity. He was forgiven by God. He, 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 he was forgiven. He didn't define his life by the choices that he made in the past. 
God had forgiven him. Was he still sorry for them? Of course he was. He was broken for them. He was sorry, but those things did not define him. Instead, instead of that, he accepted God's grace and mercy. And that's what we have to do. We have to accept God's grace and mercy. What he tried to do, he he accepted God's grace and mercy. And then he tried to live his life for Jesus Christ every single day. He tried to use the things that he had done, even the wrong things things that he had done. He used those to encourage us. I mean, how many times have you read what I don't want to do, I do. And what I want to do, I don't do. You know, and, he's, and you're like, yeah, that's me. That's me. Why do you think he could write things like that? He uses his past. He uses his experience to help others grow in their relationship with Christ. But that was not his identity. His identity it was that he was a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a person belonging to God. The blood of Christ covered him. He was perfect in standing with God. That was his identity. He was a follower of Jesus Christ who had done some things in the past that he can use to glorify God now. But those things were not his identity and they're not yours either. Number four, defining yourself by God's love for you. Romans 5, 8 says that God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we're yet still sinners, Christ died for us. Let me tell you something. He died for you knowing you were going to commit that sin that you're thinking about. He loves you so much. He died for you knowing that you were going to commit. You know why? Because he knows you're not your worst moment. Jesus knows you're not your worst moment. He knows you're not your worst season. He died for you. He loves you. He loves you. He didn't love you the the goody goody you when you're good all the time. He loves you, period. He loves you when you're good. He loves you when you're not so good. He loves you when you're in between. Okay, and he died for all those things. And we need to recognize that we need to own that he knows who we are because he created us. He knows our true identity and he created us to do good works. You know, remember Ephesians chapter chapter two, verses eight through ten. It goes on at the end. It says we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He created you. He knows who you are. And just because you got off trail at some point, he, if you forgive yourself, he's already forgiven you. If you forgive yourself, he will use all things work together for good for those who love God and have been called according to his purpose. All the good things. No. All things, good, bad, or indifferent. If you, if, you, if you confess your sin, God will use all those things in your testimony before him to glorify himself and build his kingdom. That's what we need to recognize. Remember, you are so valuable to him that he paid the debt for that sin that you're holding on to. It's how valuable you are to him. His blood covers those things. Number five. Setting aside yourself, freeing yourself up to live differently. Okay? Remember the woman caught in adultery? She's caught in adultery, and all these things are happening to her. She's overwhelmed. But here's the deal God says, Jesus says, You're forgiven. Go and sin no more. You are, you are not condemned. You are not, your life, here's what he's saying to her Your life is not over. That event is not the sun which your life will revolve around. You are not condemned, which means now you can go live. Go and sin no more. Go and live life. You're forgiven. You've confessed. I've forgiven you. Now go and sin no more. Now live your life differently. 
Live your life completely different. Forgiveness does not mean continuing to live in adultery. Rather, it means being set free to no longer commit adultery. That's what he's saying here. If she, if she, if she saw herself, okay, if she saw her life, if she, if she, if she based her life on her worst moment, why would she stop? Why would she even stop? If she was basing her life, if she continued to define herself by her worst moment, why would she stop? And see, here's the thing I want it, you need to own on this one, okay? Some of you are doing the exact same thing. You think, oh, I can't believe I did that. I just ruined it. I just threw my testimony away. I, I, I've, I've fallen and that's it. I might as well just go headlong into it. That is stinking thinking, okay? Oh, I cheated on my taxes last year, so I might as well cheat on them every year going forward. And I should fix the numbers at work and I should, you know, cheat and whatever on all the opportunities I get. That's ridiculous. You ask for forgiveness for cheating and you move on. Oh, that guy said he loved me and he, we, I, I loved him too. And he said, if you love me, you'll let me. And so I slept with him and now we've had sex. And since I've had sex, you know, forget it. Now that I'm not a virgin, I've had sex with somebody else. Now I just forget my whole and every guy I date from here on out, I'm just going to have sex with. That doesn't make any sense, but that's what Satan wants you to think. Now that you've done it, now that you've done this, what's the difference? You're trash. You're no good. Jesus would have... He didn't say to this woman, look at you. I washed my hands. You committed adultery. Your life is over. Now go and get stoned, okay? I don't want to bother with you, you tramp. That's not what he said. He said, has anyone condemned you? No. Neither do I condemn you. Now, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now live your life differently. So go live your life. Listen to me. Go live your life differently. You slept with something you should. You slept with someone you shouldn't have slept with. Ask for forgiveness and live your life differently. You cheated on some things at work or whatever else. Ask for forgiveness and go live your life differently. You, you ask for forgiveness. You're broken like David. You ask for forgiveness. God forgives you and you move on. Let me tell you something. Move on and let your feelings catch up to you because that's your problem. You're still, you haven't forgiven yourself and your feelings, your feelings, your feelings. The truth is when you're forgiven by God, if you ask forgiveness, you are forgiven. He's saying move on. If you feel differently, your feelings aren't true. And what I just told you is true. So let your feelings catch up to you. Because that's sometimes what's holding you back. That's what's holding you back. We can't define ourselves by those things. 1 John 1, you say, well, you don't understand. Again, you don't understand. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That is the truth. As far as the east is from the west, so far have I separated your sin from you. That is the truth. Jesus died on the cross and his death on the cross is sufficient for what you have done. Ask for forgiveness. He will forgive you. Move on. That is the truth. Those are all true. The rest of it is from the pit of hell and comes from the evil one who speaks into our hearts. Forgiving yourself doesn't mean overlooking and continuing your sin. It means breaking free. Remember the song we just sang? Break every chain, break every chain, break every chain. That's what he's talking about. It means breaking free from the chains that are holding you back, binding you, okay, from the life that God wants you to live. That's what he's talking about. Number six, stop punishing yourself. Here I said, stop punishing yourself. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, truth, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because I told you in the beginning. 
Why is there no condemnation for those on Christ Jesus, regardless of what they've done? Because when God sees you, he doesn't see you. He sees his son. When you ask Christ to come into your life in theological standing with God, you're perfect. You are no more perfect 10 years from now as you are right now, probably in the, maybe in the worst place in your life. Why? Because you ask Christ to come into your life and his blood has covered you. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what it says. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit sets me free from the law of sin and death. You are under grace. You are not under law. And Christ's blood has completely covered you. See, some of you think that it's, it, it makes it better if you punish yourself, right? If you punish yourself, it's going to make it better. You don't deserve, so you're just going to you punish yourself and, 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 and that will make up for all the wrongs that you have done. Well, I think somewhere in Ephesians chapter 2, it says, for as by grace you have been saved through faith, right? This is not from yourself, it is a gift of God. Not by works that no one can boast, and when you say, I'm going to punish myself, that is kind of working your way back into God's good graces. You can't do that. I just told you how that's done. You ask Christ to come into your life. Done. You make a mistake, God forgive me, and you move on. You let it go. Because he'll keep working on you. He'll keep working on you, and he'll keep working on you. See, let me tell you something. I don't mean to say this aggressively, but I'm going to, I just need to say it. When you behave that way, like you punish yourself, that is an insult to God. God gave Jesus Christ to die on a cross. I'm going to tell you again, get down off the cross. Stop punishing yourself. Jesus went to the cross to take our punishment. You understand? He was crushed for our iniquities, right? Is that what it says? What Jesus Christ did on the cross is sufficient. So you punishing yourself is a slap in the face to God who sent Jesus Christ to take over all of our sin and to take the punishment on the cross for what we have done. Get down off the cross. Get down. Okay, you don't belong there. And, the, and when you punish yourself, you're insulting God. Okay, you're insulting God. And I don't want you to do that. Jesus' death on the cross was sufficient for Jeff Greer's sin. All of it. Past, present, and future. First John, First John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 says this. My dear children. Okay, so I'm going to tell you. My dear children. I write this to you so that you will not sin. We're done. Time's up. Go. Not how it ends. I write this to you so you will not sin. But... Reality, right? Reality. But if anyone does sin, we have one who goes to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who's the atoning, not only atoning sacrifice for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. When I, when I sin, I write this to you so you will not sin. Perfect. Now I know how not to sin. Wonderful. But when... If anyone does sin, we have one who goes to the Father in our defense. We have one who goes to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. You don't understand your theology. That's why you can't forgive yourself. You are forgiven by God. You need to let that go. It's an insult to God that we keep holding on to sins that God has already forgiven us for. We need to let it go. Number seven, stop sabotaging your life. See, if you don't forgive yourself, then you feel like I said before, you need to punish yourself. And when you start punishing yourself, you sabotage your life. 
the good things that come into your life, the blessings that come into your life. And see, here's the problem. You're feeling so bad still. Your emotions are dictating your actions. And so you're feeling bad. So when God wants to bless you and God brings good things into your life, you don't think you deserve those good things. You don't think you deserve those blessings. Here's what the enemy tells you. All you deserve, maybe, maybe if you're lucky, is for him to be neutral about you because you're so awful. The idea that he will bring good things into your life or blessings into your life is just that that ship has sailed. Okay, and you missed it. That's what the enemy is saying. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Let me tell you the difference. In Ephesians chapter one, verse three, it says this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. God has given you Jesus Christ to bless you with every spiritual blessing. That's what he wants for you. Forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiving yourself means seeking and accepting God's blessing and his goodness in your life, recognizing who you are in standing with Jesus Christ. Stop. God has forgiven you. Not only that, but now God is blessing you and he's doing good things in your life and you sabotage it because you don't think you deserve it. Stop it. Stop it. Number eight. Oh, this is a really hard one too. Letting go of of what everybody else thinks of you. You need to let go, hear me? You need to let go what everyone else thinks of you. I wish I could say that when you forgive yourself, that the other person or other people are going to forgive you as well. I can't. I don't know that. In many, many cases they have. You're You're just holding on to it. But in some cases... I wish I could say, when you forgive yourself, you take one through seven, you say, yes, I'm free. And now everyone else is going to forgive me too. I can't, that may not be true. That, that may not be true. That's why I asked the question earlier about the woman caught in adultery. Honestly, how did, what did, how did she respond when, with her friends and neighbors, with the, with, the, with the stony stares and the, you know what I mean, the, and the glares and the, you know, I've got the... Scarlet letter. You know what I'm saying? How, how, how did she? How did she live her life? Was she able to overcome, even though some people would never forgive? Never let, never let her forget it. Even if they didn't forgive, they don't have the right to forgive. In some cases, in some cases, but maybe, maybe they, maybe they don't let it. They won't let her forget it. But was she able to overcome even that? Could she overcome what people thought of her? And that's what I'm saying to you. You need to overcome what people think of you. If you've wronged someone, listen to me, if you've wronged someone and, that per, and you've asked that person to forgive you, you've wronged them, you know you have, you've asked God to forgive you, you've tried to live a different life, you've asked them to forgive you and you've begged them for, to forgive you, but they choose not to forgive you, at some point, okay, and that point is now, if you've gone through this process, at some point what you need to do is you need to live your life for Jesus Christ and not for their forgiveness. You're living, you're waiting, you, you're in limbo. You can't move until that person forgives you. What I'm saying is you need to live your life for Jesus Christ, okay, not for that person's forgiveness. Always, always be ready to receive it if they give it. Don't be bitter and angry if they don't give it to you, okay, right away. And just pray that God would work on their hearts. 
Allow that person. See, in, 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 in Luke chapter 17, verses 3 and 4, it tells us we need to forgive each other on no uncertain terms. Why should we forgive each other? Because of how God has forgiven us. All the things I just described to you, that's why I'm saying you need to forgive others because of what, how God has forgiven you. God has forgiven you for all of your sin, past, present, and future. And what he's saying is if I have forgiven you for all those things, you need to forgive others. But sometimes that you, you, you want them to forgive, but they don't. You need to leave that between them and God. Forgiving yourself means not, not basing your spiritual walk on what other people think of you. Not basing your spiritual walk on what other people think of you. Forgiving yourself, okay, means believing in God's grace and his forgiveness, not their choices. If they choose not to forgive you, you still need to live your life and you still need to walk in faith in Jesus Christ. If they choose not to forgive you, you cannot live by their choice not to forgive. You need to live by the grace of God and everything we've just talked about here. See, it's, it's, it's not about what others say. It's, it's, it's not really about, it doesn't matter what other people say about you. What matters is what God says about you and how God has forgiven you and what you say about yourself that determines your destiny. What determines your destiny, what determines my destiny, and I've come to this point, and it's not even about forgiveness and someone not forgiving me, it's just about what people think. My destiny is not determined by what you think. It's, about, it's determined by what God thinks, okay, and what he says about me and what I believe about myself. That is what dictates my destiny. We need to give those people time to heal and allow the Holy Spirit to speak into their lives and hearts. Your job is to walk with Jesus Christ and do what he's called you to do to move forward. We are allowed to love ourselves despite our sins. You hear me? You're allowed to love yourself despite your sin. God loves you. You're allowed to forgive yourself despite your sins. God has forgiven you. I know that's hard. I know, I know that's a growth process, but you can do it. You have the strength to do it. You can overcome those things. It takes courage. Listen, it takes absolute courage to let it go. It does. It takes strength and it takes faith. To believe that what lies in front of you, okay, is greater than what lies behind you. It takes faith and strength to believe that what lies in front of you, your future, okay, what God has for you in the future is greater and of more importance than what has, lied, what has been done in your past. You need to understand the thoughts that you have in your mind, what you carry around in your mind controls your life. It controls your life. You, you've, got to, you've got to step back. You've got to step back and ask yourself, do, do I want to embrace my destiny or do I want to keep floundering in my history? Because that's what so many are doing. They're floundering, you're floundering in your history. You're not embracing your destiny. You're floundering in your history. What I did, I can't believe it. I never forgive myself. Is that the way you want to live the rest of your life? My friends, here's the deal. To embrace the second half of your life, starting this morning, to embrace the second half of your life, you're going to need to let go some of the first half of your life. I stood with my father about five or six years ago in his house and we were talking and we got into the conversation about the past. And for the first time in my adult life, in his adult life, he said to me, he sat down and he was talking about his sorrow, 
of things of the past and what happened to me and why he's sorry that happened and the sins of the father not being passed on to the son. And I said to him, Dad, hear me out. It doesn't matter how you start. It matters how you finish. It doesn't matter. Listen to me. It doesn't matter how you start. It matters how you finish. This is the dividing point for the future of your life. You're going to have to let go of some of the past so you can live out what God has for you in the future. What you did does not define who you are. What you did does not define who you are, but you, some of you are letting it define your relationship with God and how you'll serve Him. You're letting it define your relationship with your husband or your wife. You're letting it define maybe your relationship with your kids or your coworkers or your friends. You're letting it define how God is going to use you in the future. You're letting Satan dictate how God's going to use you in the future. And this morning, that stops. That stops this morning. I want you to bow your heads with me. We talked about asking God to forgive us. And this morning, if you've never asked God to forgive you for what you've done, you need to ask him right now, right now to forgive you. Once you've asked God to forgive you, sincerity of your heart, he will forgive you. Now you need to forgive yourself. Do not leave here the same person as when you walked in. You need to let it go. Lay it at the cross. Don't insult God. Leave it behind and move forward. But even before that, you need to ask Jesus Christ to come into your life. None of this will make any sense to you unless you ask Jesus Christ to come into your life. Romans 3.23 says, For all all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. In Romans 10.9 it says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And if you give your life to Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. I am a new creation every time I ask Jesus Christ to forgive me for my sins. I am not my old self. I am my new self. And Jesus says, go and sin no more. You are not condemned. Live your life. If you're ready to find your identity in Christ, if you're ready to find freedom in Jesus Christ, if you're, if you're ready to be a new creation in Jesus Christ, I want you to pray this prayer with me. It isn't the words, it's your heart. Just pray it to yourself with me if you want Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life. Father, I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. And I believe in my heart that God raised Him from the dead, that you have raised Him from the dead. And I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I want to find my identity in Christ alone, not in my past. 
Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I want to leave behind the guilt. I want to leave behind the shame. I want to leave behind maybe some of the anger and bitterness that I feel. I want to learn to forgive myself and to forgive others. Fill me with your love. Fill me with your freedom. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me with the power of your resurrection to help me accomplish all that I'm asking for you this morning. Show me my true identity and help me to live for you. I give my life to you. I surrender my heart to you. Ask you to come in and be the Lord and Savior of my life. And I pray this in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, but I want you to connect with me sometime in the next week or so. I want you to connect in the next couple of days. I want you to let me know that so that I can help you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Listen to me. You cannot leave here. You cannot leave here the same person as when you came in. Everything I told you this morning is true. Everything you tell yourself in your head, for the most part, is a lie. Everything the enemy tells you in your head is a lie. Remember I said, remember we went back a few, go back a few months. Test the spirits. How do you know if something's true? I read scripture the entire morning. I didn't give you my opinion. I gave you the word of God. The word of God is true. Everything else is false. A bold-faced, straight-from-hell lie. Leave this place different people than when you came in. And if you can't leave without, you need to talk to someone, you need to pray with someone, then you do that. But you have, this morning is your dividing line. You are a new creation in Jesus Christ. You leave this place free, free. Is anyone here to condemn you? No. Then neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Live your life for him. God bless you. Have a great week.